In this special episode of Heavenly Minded Earthly Good, we discuss grief, trauma, self-harm, sex, and sexual identity. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, um, I saw that question when you guys submitted the things and I mean, I had an immediate gut reaction and that is, go further. In the early stages of envisioning this podcast, Dr. James Tyler Robertson and I interviewed Tara Jean Stevens, the host of the podcast, Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens, host and creator of Heaven Bent, an examination of divine intervention. We wanted to talk to someone who is open and transparent about their spiritual journey, even as they were figuring it out. I had to go through really serious uh, therapy in order to be able to uh, create this podcast at all. Her podcast, Heaven Bent, shot to the top of iTunes trending list when it first came out in 2020, and it's easy to see why. It asks bold questions and dares to answer them. It's investigative, yet non-judgmental. I think if I understood that in more of a philosophical way, that maybe I would still lean on the church and be involved in a church community. Our interview with Tara Jean Stevens was so mind-blowing that we decided to include it here in its entirety, with just a few minor edits for length and brevity. Tyndale University presents Heavenly Minded, Earthly Good. Deconstruction is the word commonly used for the process of critically dissecting your Christian beliefs. For some in the church, deconstruction is kind of the new bad word, uh, backsliding or apostasy or heresy. Churches tend to assume that deconstruction is an intellectual issue, but it's intertwined with all these other layers of what makes us human. What makes up a person is things like their cognitive layers, right? their emotional layers, their behavioral layers, and their relational layers. This podcast follows my personal journey through deconstruction. Along the way, we're going to chat with professors, pastors, psychologists, researchers, historians, and artists. But I was still really struggling with the fact that if I was wrong, I might be going to hell. We'll explore the questions so many of us have about Christianity the stuff you probably didn't feel comfortable bringing up on Sunday at youth group or small group. I'm your host and guide for this journey, Anita Wing Lee. As a teen, Tara Jean had doubts about the so-called supernatural activity in her childhood church. It took years for her to separate fact from fiction. Today, as a mother, a radio host, and podcaster, she considers herself someone who lives free from religion and helps others navigate their own faith journey. In the first season of Heaven Bent, Tara Jean Stevens dove into the strange behavior of worshipers in the Toronto Blessing movement. In season two, she questioned the teachings of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And in season three, she's looking at the Pentecostal spirit of revival in Nashville, Tennessee. Also, I promise the fact that both of our podcasts have the word heaven in the title and both of our podcast covers are yellow is entirely accidental. Dr. Robertson came up with the title and we decided on the yellow separately. With all that said, here's our interview with Tara Jean Stevens. Walk me, can you walk us through like your own process of, of deconstructing what I probably can first hand experience 
this unbelievable cultural pressure to stay in. So you said you're about 18 or 19. So was it where you sort of had your first freedom? But uh, yeah. yeah, what what kind of got you going? I would say that the first sort of baby step was not going to church every Sunday and then not going to youth group anymore, not being on the worship team anymore. And the and that happened actually when I was 16. And that's that was purely based on the fact that I was going to start having sex with my boyfriend. And I was he was in the church as well. And uh, I was under the impression that people in the church were going to be able to look at me and know that I'd lost my virginity. And that to me was so shameful and so scary because I still had the whole structure, the whole framework of Christianity. I still believed it was not about not believing. I was just so in love or you know, hormonal, uh, so exploring my body that I, there was nothing that was going to stop me from doing that. And so that was the gateway, basically, uh, once, and I was in the Christian school too. So, I mean, even though I stopped going to church and youth group, I was still in the, in the, in the church warehouse going to school five days a week. So uh, there was definitely conversations um, in the hallways. Hey, where are you? How come you're not coming back? But, you know, I think at that point, like I was one foot in, one foot out. But when I shifted into high school, which was just for uh, public school, high school in grade 11 and 12, I begged my parents because I wanted to be more involved in a drama program, which my small Christian school just didn't have. So they wanted to support my ambition that way. So they let me go to the public school. And then again, these little tiptoes of my, I didn't know the word de deconstruction back then, but that is what I was doing. Um, one of them happened in science class and biology when I started to learn about evolution instead of Christianity. And even though when I was in grade 12, I literally would put up and fight the teacher about the scientific stuff that he was teaching me. Um, and I look back on that. I'm very embarrassed about it. Um, like, cause he, everyone was looking at me like this weirdo girl that just came from the weird Christian school. And she, and I just could not even grasp the idea of evolution. And that was because, I mean, I had literally been taught that the world was formed in seven days, everything was very, very literal. And when it came to evolution, or let's say the dinosaurs or fossils, I remember when I asked my dad about it, my dad said, well, actually what's happening there is the devil's minions are planting these thing called fossils all around the world. It's like an underground group of people that are working to uh, get kids like you to think that evolution is real. So that's the kind of stuff that I was fighting back against when I was in high school. Uh, but the big, big divide really came in college when I took a religious uh, history class. I took a mythology class. I learned about, um, I mean, mythology was big for me because I learned that there were myths like Jesus and the cross and Mary that came thousands of years before. And it was those were those were still cracks though honestly those were still cracks because what really was holding my faith together until i was well into my 20s was the gold teeth story can you give us a quick rundown of what what do you mean by the gold teeth story sure so after after college i wouldn't call myself a christian anymore at that point but i was still really struggling with the fact that if I was wrong, I might be going to hell. So there was that sort of hanging over me. And the reason why I couldn't 
cut it off altogether was because of this memory that I had in my memory bank of uh, being in church when I was about, I think I'd gone back to, back to Prince Rupert and my mom was like, please come, come to church with me. And on this particular day, a group of adults had just returned from a session of revival services in Toronto at the Toronto airport vineyard church or whatever it happened to be called that year. And when they came back, they said that gold dust had fallen from the sky and was all over their bodies and that God had given some of them gold teeth. And we all got in a lineup after the service and she opened, my friend's mom opened up her mouth so that we could all peer inside and see these gold teeth. And she did have a gold molar in her mouth. So I was walking around in my twenties, partying, not a Christian, living this new life of freedom and feeling, you know, free about my body and getting to know people from the, you know, the gay community and realizing that everything I've been taught about gay people was wrong and just feeling really invigorated and enlightened but this nagging thought was, well, if that gold tooth was real, though, then maybe the rest of it is real and I'm wrong and going to hell. And that's why I started my podcast. I wanted to find out what was behind that gold tooth story. So that's really at, and I mean, that's a good segue. So that's really at the backdrop of, of the whole podcast. Like, I know you referenced it, just wasn't sure how much, just the idea that one lingering thing, like, oh my goodness. Yeah, because I mean, I guess if we're raised in that sort of Pascal's wager, like it's better to if you're going to gamble on something, it's better to gamble that Christianity is true than false, because obviously, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Until until, you know, you develop a bit of a deeper understanding what experience in life actually is. (laughs) And fear based is never good for anything. So that really is what sort of uh, that hung you up at the end. eh? Like you're just that's the last sort of tangential strength. Yeah. So do you think like now that you sort of you've done the podcast? You've had some investigation. You're grown now. You've, you've had some distance with it and stuff like that. Are, is is the gold tooth still haunting you, or do you think you've you've sort of put that to rest? I mean, I like to believe that there is the possibility for miracles and supernatural things in this world, but nothing in my investigation m- made me go back to think that the gold teeth stuff was something supernatural and that's because every example that I investigated had dentist records that would discount it but I think what was so beautiful for me um, that I learned during season one and that I'm continuing to learn is maybe the gold teeth wasn't real but that that experience for people was really powerful in their life that that story is meaningful for them, that they had some sort of healing that could have happened from believing that. And that's where I am today, where I have to go, what is good about the church? If I don't believe it anymore, why? I've still got friends in the church. They're not dumb. They're not stupid. They're not wasting their life. So I'm still desperate to sort of find what is real and true and honest about our supernatural experiences, but also our, our beliefs too. But my podcast really, I don't, I try my very best not to get into is God real? Is God not real? Like that's just a conversation for another place. And I consider myself agnostic. So I just believe there's something going on that I haven't heard a proper explanation for yet. Um, But it's definitely still a journey for me. You said a really important concept, which 
which is actually the underside of deconstructing, of people who deconstruct, which is like the trauma of church and the trauma of like being Christian. And like in church, people won't use that word, but there really is something to that. So how would you say that you've dealt with or processed some of that trauma from your experiences in Christianity and in the church? Well, I mean, trauma comes up a lot, especially um, in season two and in the future seasons of Heaven Bent that I'm that I'm working on. I find that the further I get away from my own experience, the Toronto blessing, and maybe even a Canadian Christian experience, uh, the more I dabble in things across the border, the trauma is becoming more intense uh, for the people that I'm talking with. So it sometimes makes me think, who am I to be talking about trauma? Like my trauma, like my trauma doesn't matter as much as yours. So I should just be quiet. But I had to go through really serious uh, therapy in order to be able to uh, create this podcast at all. And I mean, one of the traumatic experiences that, that I, I think I've shared several times, or I have at least thought about sharing it and then deleted it. But um, when I was in Christian camp up in Prince Rupert, like in the, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, outside of Terrace, there was this Pentecostal Christian camp that I would go to. And there was this one year where it was a teen camp and they made a decision to show us all this video. Um, I think it was called the gay agenda, but it might've just been about the gay agenda and was called something else. But in this video, it was so traumatizing. They showed graphic images of gay sex. They taught us like like really graphic images, uh, lots of the most, the most graphic pride parade stuff you can imagine of people. And it was all being, I mean, now I might look at that and go, look at that guy having a good rainbow time. But back then, I mean, it was so shocking to all of us. And it was um, basically teaching us how evil the gay community was. And I remember really taking that to heart and being felt very self-righteous about it. I'm very straight. I have never had gay feelings. So I can't imagine what it was like for people in that room um, who were struggling with their, I, I mean, it, that to me, um, even though that wasn't me, for some reason, it's like I take responsibility for it or something. And so part of my podcast really has been to create a space for people who have been severely traumatized by the anti-gay sentiments in the church to have a safe space to talk about their stories and their healing. Um, but that particular movie haunted me for so long. And I mean, it got to a point where I shared about that on social media and got some apologies from leaders at the time who saw my post. We should have never shown that to you. Um, you know, behind the scenes, you need to know that the leaders were arguing about whether or not to show it. It wasn't that everyone just thought it was okay. And um, that meant a lot to me to get an apology from from the leaders that it did. It really, it really did help me. And it, and it created uh, more of a dialogue for me with my, with my psychologist that I was able to continue to figure out how to heal and forgive um, seeing that kind of stuff. I was like 12, give me a break. That's gross. Wait, do you find that there is, so this is gonna be kind of a twofold question. So one, cause you did mention, we're looking at stuff like South of the border and obviously evangelicalism has become this political force, very divisive, very problematic. What I like about the podcast, what I've said to everybody I've, I've recommended it to is like, it is a, and what I say in the book too, like this is, it's funny, it's sympathetic, it's fair, it's factual. Um, 
do you see like do you think canada has and i don't want us to be overly jingoistic or like yay canada is there more room in canada for for somebody to be like this is really cool good for you it's definitely what my research found good for you not my thing but it doesn't seem to be quite the antagonistic thing yeah well i mean when i was doing the research for season one it was purely canada based it was toronto based it was you know british columbia based the interior the people that i had met and um, and interviewing numerous people who are involved in it. And it felt to me in comparison to season two, which explored the Toronto blessing and the way the revival spread to Bethel Church in Redding, California. Um, it just, when I compare the two seasons, Toronto seems so innocent. It seems like just, I know that, and I'm, I want to acknowledge that beneath it, there are obviously people in the Toronto blessing who had traumatic experiences. I don't want to cut those away, but for the most part, it was like just good people hoping for something good and believing in miracles and magic and really wanting the best, you know, like I couldn't keep, I, I, I talked to so many people. I didn't find one person who wanted to say a bad thing about the leadership there, Maybe, you know, like, like massive, like the top level leadership. Um, and that, that put me at peace a little bit, you know, like maybe I don't agree with you, but your intentions were good, right? It comes back to intentions. And um, now when I look back on season two, which which took me to, to Reading and, and to Bethel, it does get very political. The trauma is more extreme. The cult accusations are more, I mean, I don't even know. I think uh, sometimes when I was working on season one, people would be like, oh, it's, it's a cult, right? You were in a cult. I'm like, I don't think it was a cult. I just feel like it was a spiritual movement that was really extravagant and, um, and just really, really crazy within the church, right? That is powerful. To your comments about trauma, and I'll just say this for my own, and my trauma I'd say is even less, like that, that video thing is, that sounds horrific. Do you find there's a lot of guilt and shame, especially around the sex thing, that it's, that's a lot of unpacking even to our adult years? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's something that's been reflected in so many of the interviews that I've done and some of the work I'm doing on future seasons, purity culture is coming up a lot. Those commitments that we made as teenagers to stay pure and holy and keep our bodies, you know, to ourselves and for our husbands um, that I mean, I personally was able to throw that off pretty quickly. Um, I don't know what it is about me, maybe I'm just a bit more West Coast hippy dippy and my parents never, it was, I never heard that from my parents. It was always just from leaders in the church. So I was maybe able to separate it a little bit. Um, but I don't know. It's like the, the people that I talk to that really struggle with it the most are the people who wore those rings, you know, or got actually signed a document, a physical document that haunts them in their dresser drawer where they made this commitment um, that's, that stuff is definitely real. I think in regards to like, um, maybe being, I think it went backwards for me because when I was in the Christian school, we wore uniforms and the girls were required to wear, uh, skirts when you were standing, they had to go six inches below your knee. And that was because, and they literally said this, if you show a boy your knees, you are opening him up to sinful sexual thoughts. And, I think some people have gone down a path with some women have gone down a path or some girls went down a path with that where, um, I don't know, it's different than me. I, I feel like that empowered me almost. It made me feel like my body was powerful. And so when I got rid of the sin part, I think I've still carried that into life that 
I can use my body to control people or not in a bad way. I mean, that sounds weird, but that, that viewing my body can be empowering for me. So what would you say to somebody who's in the middle of deconstructing their faith right now? Yeah, um, I saw that question when you guys submitted the things and I mean, I had an immediate gut reaction and that is go further, keep going, keep asking questions, take classes, read books, talk to people of different religious beliefs. Um, that to me has, I'm, I love research and talking to people, obviously. So it's been a great comfort to me uh, to learn that I'm not alone, um, that there are other, because we were raised so fundamental and that, you know, that say there's like five facts of life and these are the only things and everything else is wrong. And the Bible is a hundred percent right. And there's no fault in it. And once you start to open up your mind to the fact that there could be other answers to these big questions, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and freeing and so exciting. I just, yeah, I would just, I would just encourage people to, to go further and to know that you're not alone because the number of people that I hear from on a weekly basis, I'm not even a, in a season launch period of my podcast anymore. And every week I hear from someone that's like, I totally thought I was alone in these feelings, which seems shocking. But if you're from a Christian church and that is something that is scary to talk about and everyone around you is a Christian, you may never mention that you're struggling. You may just be looking on the internet and reading weird blogs or something, but there is a large community of people in North America, especially right now, who are finding ways to connect through podcasts, through blogs, through movies. Um, and together we're finding that we, I mean, now we've got this whole new community that the church is looking at as like, you know, some evil group or people that they maybe need to bring back or something. But um, to find a new community has been really powerful for me because that is the number one thing that I miss about the church. Oh my gosh. That's, it's been so fascinating. All our interviews, the ways in which community has come up. And what I would argue, cause a lot of the conversations I get into is of course, people are like, people aren't coming back to church. They're just, they're, they've been having so much fun doing it from their living room, you know, listening to it online. And, and so yeah. like a bunch of the younger people now, again, I've got a couple, like my, my church skews North of 75. So community, wow. and they're all farmers. I love it. It's like a whole community of grandparents. It's oh, it's that's like, great. It is. It is so good, and they are so, they are so real. And my favorite is we had uh, these two twenty-somethings from Toronto came because there's a camp out here. There's a Baptist camp out here, so they were there for training, and so they were told to come to our like here's some Baptist churches, so you don't have to go the way back to Toronto. And they came, and our church is all discussion based because it's small. And they came there on the Sunday. We're like, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? And what does that mean? So we're having this, I'm having this great discussion. We're all having coffee and, and food and stuff like that. And these, and, and you got this guy, George, who's 81. He's like, look, I don't know much about, and George still has my favorite line about Christians and the gay agenda ever. He's like, listen, I don't care. I don't think God cares who you love. He's like, I'm just not a big fan of parades. I was like, that's hands down my favorite answer. He's like, I don't care about being gay. I just don't like parades. But he's there and he's like, look, he's like, I got to figure there's places in the world where no one's even heard the name Jesus. He's like, I can't see God getting you on a technicality. And then these 20 somethings are spending their correcting and they get in this debate back and forth. One, 
it's just that beautiful 21 year old arrogance. That's so frustrating. It's like, you understand that this guy has been a Christian for eight decades. Maybe just have a little bit of respect that he's learned some things that you have yet to learn. But I love the idea that, you know, you have a country Baptist 81 year old and a city 21 year old, which one do you think is going to be more conservative? Which one's going to be more liberal? And it turns out it's the 81 year old Baptist. It's so good. But we've well, come up with this. Their, you kind of touched there too on that, you know, like that 21 year old sort of like, I remember feeling this way and I see it on the faces of young Christians that I see the fundamental Christians that I see evangelicals. It's this, they don't mean it because, but it's arrogance. It's arrogance that they have found the actual answers to all the things of life. And they just, if you would just listen to me, I could tell you like how empowering that is as a young person to think that you found the answer. You need to know more people in the world to realize that there's so many other possibilities, but. No. And I love this because you're right. You, you, so you created a, a, a community. And I mean, that's, this is a theme that just keeps popping up over and over again is how I think we could all experience. And I mean, Anita is, is she works for catch the fire. So, uh, or work for, I don't even know. <laughs> worked is that fair to say anita yeah so she she's she's been enjoying the podcast too because sort of learning like the legacy of uh, or the origin stories of where she she was working you must know some of the people that were on there maybe or was that before your day yeah i have to tell you um so my team worked on revival 25 so it was actually okay. and, and like i don't take any of this personally i just like ended up with this job at catch the fire i knew nothing about toronto blessing i had a great I like, time at the conference. i was like oh this is an interesting church <laughs> Um, so I, I'm like neutral about all of it. Like I can definitely see its gifts and I can see its weirdness and I yeah. see its legacy. Um, so it was really cool. Actually. I like, I'm very much on the other side. Cause you know, we built the brand. I was there in the building. We were in the same building. So it like, oh, that's we, so really, cool. we, we love the podcast. Oh, that's great. That's great. Do you see this, and you sort of address this a bit, do you see like this, one of the important roles of deconstructing is to find alternate communities, not, maybe not necessarily ultimate re recipient of information? Mm, no, no, I don't, I don't think it's essential to deconstructing. I think it's like, it's like, I think some, some, many of my guests are ahead of me in, in finding new communities, especially, I think it's especially uh, easier for people who are from the LGBTQ community. Those are built in and waiting with open arms uh, communities that you can lean on and get support and find resources and people who are like you. Um, I think it's um, just speaking for myself has just been very difficult. Let's say as a mother, I have two children and um, I'm raising them without any kind of religious or religious beliefs. I do infuse them as often as I can with you know, the sentiments I bring to, you know, in heaven bent, which is, I believe that there's just a great mystery in this world about why there's anything. And that it's really magical to try to figure it out and watch for signs in the world that maybe the universe is trying to tell you something and all that kind of stuff. But um, I feel like, am I failing them as a mom by not giving them more concrete? I mean, I I'd be lying if I tried to present them with a religion and say, okay, this is the one, give this a try. But there are so many benefits outside of even community to religious beliefs and, and churches. And I'm like, am I failing them? These two kids don't have that. I mean, our church is hockey. That's what we do. We go to the hockey rink. Like my family used to go to church. 
my husband is a very staunch atheist. Um, so he has no, I kind of have to lean on him when it comes to that kind of stuff. My, um, my psychologist who really helped me deal with uh, some of the trauma from the church and the anger at the church. Um, she told me that she felt it was too triggering for me to talk about religion and that I shouldn't talk about my my religion or experiences with my kids until they're older, because she was worried that I would um, not traumatize them, but give them a sort of like unnecessary impression of what that world is like. Um, I feel like now I've come a lot. That was a few years ago. I feel now I've, I've come far enough where I can talk more candidly with them. And they saw me sitting on the kitchen table. They've seen me sitting there for years now making these podcasts. And every once in a while, they'll say, what are you editing? Who did you just talk to? And I've been able to be more honest with them now. So I think that when they get a little older into their teen years, I think maybe they'll have questions for me and that's when I'll talk about it. But it's something I worry about. Am I not giving them a full life? Is there an aspect that I've withheld from them because of my own experiences? I'd love to hear your thoughts on, in general, you can say whatever you want. What's your take on the Christian faith now? You know, how close or how far away, how cold or how hot? What's your take on it now? I mean, it comes back to like, it's just not real to me, the, the Christian faith anymore. I believe that Jesus was probably a real person. I believe he was probably a, a revolutionary. I think he was probably a really exciting man um, that inspired people but I don't think he turned water to wine I don't think that he um, got raised from the dead I think it's possible he wound up on a cross I don't know like historically they did they did do that I guess um, but there's there's I think it was because I was taught that it was so fundamental that this is everything is right once I found fault in it it all just fell apart like it, and I, I feel like um, sometimes like that's my fault, but it's not my fault. That's how it was presented to me. Like if it wasn't, if I had been presented with this idea that 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 human beings uh, really re require and need like spiritual community and 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 thinking, you know, I, that I understood the concept maybe when I was younger that we are purpose built as human beings to want to think about something outside of ourselves that is greater. I think if I understood that in more of a philosophical way, that maybe I would still lean on the church and be involved in a church community and be able to hear the teachings of Jesus and incorporate them into my life the way that some Christians do, some of my friends do. But I, you know, I have friends that are hardcore Christians, but not in the way that I was raised. And they didn't really understand why I couldn't just come to church on a Sunday. Why can't we take your daughter to church on Sunday? What's the big deal? Like she's just going to learn some Sunday. I'm like, she's not going to church. You're not standing a bus here. Don't you dare. You know, I had to talk to my mom, who's a Christian and say, when, when my kids were bait, were quite little, I said to her, this is a really uncomfortable conversation for me, but absolutely. Are you not to minister to my children? You are not to take them to church. You are not to read Bible stories to them. I absolutely cut it off. And she just said, I respect you. Okay, fine. And she never has. She's never peeped a word about it. But um, that was definitely during when I was, when I had little kids, like I was still dealing with a lot of anger. I don't have that anger 
anymore. I think I'm more curious than anything. Do you find, do you, did you see, or you feel a freedom in this deconstruction process? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, I've mentioned several times just the anger that I went through and it was like, yes. at first it was not freedom. It was anger. It was anger that I had, um, spent so much of my youth, um, what I feel at the time wasted of focusing on things, you know, like I almost went to a Bible school. What if I'd gone to a Bible school instead of that secular college I went to, I I mean, could be a completely different path. I could be married to a youth pastor with a Christian podcast, right? You know, we could be talking about something completely different right now. Like this, there's this whole other world. Right. And, um, but once I got, once I got therapy, like it took a couple years of serious therapy, um, then the anger went away and then the freedom came, then the curiosity came, then came the ability to do interviews with Christians for heaven bent and connect with them heart to heart. Somehow, somehow I, I can still find fellowship with Christians. And the fact that any Christians are interested in talking to me is very, um, I don't know. It makes me very emotional because it makes me feel like maybe I'm not such a reject that I'm not evil, that I'm not, um, bad in some way, or they're not angry at me. I mean, um, remind me again, who's the uh, lead pastor at in Toronto now? What's his name again? Yeah. So Steve actually wrote me when I was launching season one and, um, I had released at that point, he emailed me, I think I'd released two episodes And when I saw his name come up in my email, I remember I was like, oh no, oh no, he's going to be angry. He's going to be so mad. He's going to be so mad. And he was so gracious with me and just said that he was enjoying listening and that he wanted to just thank me for not making fun of them. And I was, and I just, it was a, I didn't hear from him much after that. So I don't know how he felt about the rest of the, of the season, but that for me was just like, it just gave me a little bit of peace that somebody who represented that movement now professionally in that church, like, um, that, that he was like, it's okay that you're, it's okay that you're doing this. Like, I'm not sitting back here getting my lawyers together, trying to like stop you, you know, whereas, um, you know, South of the border, um, Bethel and, um, I'm working on a, a season on the international house of prayer in Kansas city. Um, there's some legal stuff that's coming up. So I have to, I have to be even more careful and make sure that I've got and make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm inside the bounds of, of the law. You know, as Jesus said, make sure to sue as often as possible. That is, it's one of the, it's one of the gospel teachings. Well, with IHOP, they've definitely taken that to heart. So <laughs> I, I'll be curious, like, and this is exciting because I actually know a few people that are in IHOP in Hamilton and IHOP in yeah. Hamilton, which I just love. Cause I mean, it, there's no way in my brain, it does not conjure up international house of pancakes. Like I just, I, know. I love that there's so many great Christian things that they're like, do you understand what this sounds like outside of Christian <laughs> circles? So some of them are so much funny. Is it unfair what people think about charismatic Christianity? Like, are, like the people mocking that these are just, these are just ridiculous rubes. Is that fair? Is that an unfair assessment? Totally unfair. Because you know what? If you completely get rid of um, religious beliefs and theology, and we're just talking about a group of people gathered together with the same mission to heal from trauma and child abuse and 
figure out how to love your husband again and heal your marriage, that praying and meditation are real, that those things can help, that touching people and physical touch really does have healing properties beyond the supernatural, like in the real life, that dancing makes us feel happier and can help with our mental health, that raising our hands and shaking can um, induce like serotonin stuff in our bodies. That stuff is all real. I just wish bloody hell there was a church for me that had all of that um, without the, <laughs> I feel it's like, well, I don't even know, but I heard that there's a, um, one of my, uh, the two seasons that I'm working on in the future, one of them is uh, a group of Pentecostal, a network of Pentecostal churches in the Nashville area. And um, I'm really excited. They had the, the, you know, this church had like more like Brownsville revival spread there. So it's like a little, I feel like the through line would be heaven bent, uh, like Toronto, Bethel, then IHOP, but I'm going to mix up with this Nashville story. But uh, one of my contacts down in Nashville said that there's a whole group of former Pentecostals, like young people like me that, that, you know, like us that, that grew up like that, who now meet and they're all musicians and singers and they sing all the same songs but there's no Jesus there. It's just about hugging each other and supporting each other and asking how your week was and singing these songs that moved them as children. And uh, I think that for some reason in the South, a lot of, uh, I don't know what it is about religion down there and, and evangelical Christianity, but there's a lot of people down. It doesn't matter if they don't believe anymore. They're still going to church every Sunday because there's a great potluck and they're going to see their grandma and they're going to sing that song they love and maybe have a cry to the pastor about their girlfriend. And I don't feel like there's space like that up here in Canada. I haven't found it anyway. Yet. That's what we start. Now. Well, let me know. All right. Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, I had to go down there to do research on war and I saw, I stayed with a friend of a friend's that were in Nashville and they were part of that. Like, oh, they're, really? like it's really awesome. Like, yes. you know, hipster couple. She's like, you know, uh, all dreadlocks, bleach blonde. They're all covered in tattoos. They have this really funky house in this like dilapidated neighbor neighborhood. And they just like have all this food and stuff like that. You and know, they love the, they're know. all musicians. Yeah, yeah. They love the musician, but they're not. I wonder if it's the music. same one I heard of. <laughs> it's, well, it's gotta be the same kind of collective. And it's not a Nashville, of course, is so much music's like the air in Nashville. Yeah. It almost like. I don't know. It's like music in that way left my, you know, that was in my life every day. Like that's good. Yeah. That's gone now. I, I, mean, I mean, other than going to concerts, when do you really get to get together with a bunch of people and sing songs that you all kind of know the words to and all have an emotional reaction to. However, that's why, I mean, I work at a, at a pop station. Now I work at kiss radio in Vancouver and I love pop music and I love pop music that takes me to church. So like Coldplay, right. Right. Coldplay takes me to church. I went, I've been to several Coldplay concerts and outside of Jesus and the Holy spirit, it, that is very much what a Coldplay concert is like. It's like a big church arena service. And of course you too, like every, I've got, I've yeah, seen you, you too, too like six wow. times. And I was like, Oh my God. And when he's reading the Psalms and it's all the laser lights, I'm like, this is, this is what I grew up with. Feeling. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. And actually weirdly enough in I, maybe in more in your vein too, tragically hip did that for me and definitely before Gord's last concert in 2016 but I was like the hip did that for me like there's something almost prophetic and screaming about his stuff that was so good more so even with coke machine glow lesser so with the tragically hip his solo album um for me is 
I could cry right now, even thinking of it, that there is a vein of that, that again, like put me in a meditative spiritual space. And even now when I listen to it moves me in that same way. And there's a, an access to healing and thought and, and just, uh, I don't know, just a vibration, you know? Yeah, definitely. Did you set the timer? I have not. Are you ready? Yeah. The timer has been set and is counting down. Thank you for episode six. A little bit of a different format, eh? Would you like to speak to that or not? Yeah, I just found it so hard to try to edit together what Tara Jean Stevens said. And there's so many parts of her story that are important to include that we just ran with this. Yeah, and I, I mean, considering this is episode, episode six, and we're roughly going to be doing 10, maybe 11 episodes, stay tuned, listener. I think this is a good place because we've had these five episodes of opening up the tabs, as the metaphor that you used, um, and now we're starting to sort of transition into these landing spaces, and I feel like uh, Tara Jean's, uh, you know, we'll use a Christian word, her testimony, her her interview, her uh, ability to communicate her own journey was it is a great sort of segue into this last half of uh, season one where we're sort of looking at some of the landing spots. So, yeah, just I hope you really enjoyed the uh, interview. Anything you want to sort of that stuck out to you that you want people to take away as we head into the second half of the season? Yeah, I think what Tara Jean Stevens really brings to life is that emotional journey that deconstruction is not just this intellectual thing like she talks about this trauma and the anger and i know what that feels like and so often when we're looking at people oh they're turning away from church i was just thinking today that there's this deep feeling of betrayal i still have a little bit of it that i'm processing of like um it felt like my parents let me down it was like i believed you and you told me a lie when Christianity fell apart. And so I hear that in Tara Jean Stevens' journey. And I'm so glad she's able to arrive at a place now where she can feel emotionally, psychologically healthier and 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 raise her kids from this place of curiosity and from openness. But it obviously took her a long time to get there. And um, I hope that hearing her story makes us all a bit more compassionate towards people who don't have it figured out yet. Um, not that we do, um, but like giving us compassion for people who are angry because you can have angry Christians and you can have angry atheists and and usually there's something deeper going on, possibly from their childhood that they're not talking about. That's the reason they're angry. Oh, yeah. Good point. I think near the end of this interview, she really beautifully encapsulates this journey that, yeah, if, if you were just to drop in on maybe a certain like several year period of her life, she would be angry and hurt. But she also talks about this is a process that got her to be honest and say, okay, I am angry. Here are the reasons why I'm angry and to work again with a therapist. So important to have skilled professionals to walk you through these emotional um, and cognitive journeys. But she's she's like, the anger had to be addressed before I could get into a place of forgiveness. And for, forgiveness comes curiosity. From cu curiosity comes wonder. And I think there's a lot that, regardless of your faith tradition, this is something we have to give ourselves permission. I don't know how it was when you were raised, but there was a sense, I've said this before, you could go on this journey, but the journey had to be very short. And you had to get to the right place. And there's a lot of discomfort around certain emotional aspects, like anger and disappointment, where you almost couldn't give breath to that and that of course doesn't heal it it just makes it so much worse it forces it underground so for all of our listeners too 
we want to acknowledge that this is going to be a whole bunch of uncomfortable feelings. And I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Uh, we're at three minutes and 22 seconds left. Um, I, I, I attended uh, the Indigenous Legacy Rally at Nathan Phillips Square um, some time ago. And one of the people speaking there really... Um, this this line has stuck with me when they were talking about the residential school specifically, but talking about Christianity a little more generally and saying that the struggle she and her family had with Christians is we were a people that had no questions. And I think this gets to what Tara Jean was talking about, like that even if it's unintentional, there's that arrogance that there's a sort of coming from these are the answers and I'm going to find you, you need to find a way to get the same answers I have. And we see the absolute, the trauma in people like Tara Jean you, Anita, myself, but also, of course, the systemic trauma of, in Canada especially, that has been so played out with the residential school tragedy. So I really appreciated the fact that she gave us uh, a space to sort of show the journey that we call deconstruction, but sometimes that is not fair, as, as you are discovering this wonderful podcast. So with two minutes, 22 seconds left, how do you like that? What are some of the takeaways for our listeners from your perspective? I had a thought, but it's... A- this is a good use of time. Okay, I will. Uh, I'll just jump in here because I found this episode. There's a little bit more. Oh wait, I remembered. <laughs> See, this is. Real. I was about to get so emotional. You cut me off. It has to do with, like, it just so happened that she had this experience that involved the Toronto blessing and the church that became Catch the Fire. And I just so happened to land at this church that was called Catch the Fire, and I re and I discovered this world famous Toronto blessing, and. I'm really glad we included her story because I could see myself in her. Like Mm -hmm. I could very well still be, I could be in her shoes. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't had that thing happen to me in Montenegro, which nobody could control. Like I'm sure my parents prayed forever and maybe they contributed to it, but ultimately there was no human being that made that happen. And so she could also be in my shoes, as she said. Yes, if she'd gone to Bible college, uh, I'd be doing this podcast with her. Yeah, and so I think seeing that for me, just, it's like, we don't know where we're going. I don't like, she doesn't know where she's going to be. I don't know if I might be in her shoes in a couple of years. And I think, um, but having that space to talk about it and walk through it with people is something that we need because our world is complicated now. Yes. And it's been so simple before (laughs) as a historian. I know that. Uh, for me in this episode too, there's a little bit more of me, my personal journey, some of my struggles. So your uh, vulnerability, uh, Tara Jean's vulnerability, like you, obviously you through this podcast, her in this interview, do has inspired me. But there's there's a certain amount of fear. So I don't know if this is what you're feeling, but there's a certain amount of fear that people listening to this might judge me personally. So I think this is a good time for the conversation. These are the brave conversations that need to happen in the 21st century in Canadian Christianity, which is obviously our focus, but of course Christians uh, around the globe. Uh, of being willing to be brave and open, open and vulnerable with each other and to not take the page of my life that I'm on right now and somehow think that that stands for the whole story that is James Robertson or Anita Wing Lee. We have now 10 seconds left, so I want to encourage people with ongoing vulnerability. In the last few seconds, what do you want to say? Good use of yourself- time. <laughs> this is an interview that just like hits me, and I hope that... Um, I hope that as you listen, you know, it encourages you to dig into the parts of your life and look at your childhood and look at those things that really bothered you. It's okay. That's excellent. Yeah. Look at the childhood. That was the alarm. So we'll let it go now. But I also encourage people to listen to Heaven Bent seasons one, two, and three, because I was saying to Anita, season three has got me. I'm enthralled. I love season one, love season two, but season three has enthralled me. Okay. 
That's it. Seven and a half minutes. See you next week. See you next week. Episode. There we go. That's better. (laughs) Heavenly Minded Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website for more information.